preparation for Anthony's sermon, we'll read from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. The sermon this evening is titled, Receive Grace. John chapter 1, 14 through 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Certainly hope you all enjoyed your day today and very glad that we can be together tonight. We're going to be bouncing around to a few scriptures tonight. If you want to go ahead and prepare yourself or be turning, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is one that we're going to read a little bit later, Titus chapter 2. Um, those two passages in particular we'll be going to, so if you want to have those ready, we'll land back at John chapter 1 at the end. Very glad to be with you tonight. This entire series that we're continuing to work our way through, series entitled Receive, Being Receptive People, is built on the belief, this core belief, that all of life and all of faith living in life is to be received from us or to us as a gift. You know, all of the elements that we have discussed um, up to this point, forgiveness and the Holy Spirit, we talked about reconciliation and love, all of those elements that we've talked about in reception or being receptive people of those things overlap each other. To receive forgiveness is to really accept the love of God and to receive reconciliation happens because you and I are receptive of the Holy Spirit which bears witness that we are, yes, combined and back together with God. Tonight, uh, I want us to add another angle to widen and deepen our vocabulary to really understand how we relate to God. See, what you're going to find out is that the subjects that we're talking about as we go through this series are not just independent of themselves, like, like, like forgiveness is over here and that's in section A of God and reconciliation is in section B of God and the Holy Spirit is section C and love is section D, but really they intermingle. And as we talk about some of these words, we're going to broaden our vocabulary to understand how we relate to God better. I want to show you a graphic um, on the screen. Eric's going to pop that up there. Um, I think you can see that. I hope so. What I want to show you is a little bit of a, um, a, an image to try to make sense for you of what we're working through in this series. I know I've mentioned this several times, um, that we're working through justification, adoption, and sanctification. But you'll see under each of those three, the very first lesson was being people that are prepared to receive or receptive people that have cultivated our soil to be ready to receive the Word of God, to grow and to produce fruit. And what we're really trying to work on is moving our way through these cycles. Now, 
uh, the very first one is justification. That's the legal version. That's you and I are no longer guilty before the throne of God, but we are now innocent. And that experience, that, that understanding that we have to have comes in understanding what justification really is. That that happens because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So we receive forgiveness. And we receive reconciliation. And when we believe and understand and live those truths, we are able then to move into the second part there, which is adoption. That we're not just pardoned sinners, that God says, go and be free like we are Barabbas and, and God is Pilate and he says, you're free and he, Barabbas can just go live his life however he wants to live. But God says, you're free now of sin, the thing that keeps me from you, now I can fill you with myself and I can be in you and you can be in me and we can again be one. We can, and what the Bible word there is adoption. And so we receive the Holy Spirit, which bears witness with ours that we're children of God and we receive love. In my experience in ministry, the gap that exists most often is between justification and adoption. Most of us don't have a problem seeing God as a righteous judge that we need forgiveness from. But a lot of us struggle seeing God as a loving father that says, come here, I really want to be with you. And I like you. And I love you. Not the you 10 years from now that's going to be better than the you now, but actually you, the one you are right now. And then that last gap that we're working into tonight Justification, adoption, and then sanctification. That is the process by which God sanctifies us to move us into holiness. And if you find yourself log jammed or kind of stuck, what you got to do is dig in and ask yourself, do I believe the Bible truths that are taught about justification, about adoption, and then about sanctification, that those things are received by faith, and as I receive them by faith, I act upon those things. When I understand that, I can begin to move through this process and not get stuck living in the cycle of, am I justified or not? I'm justified today because I went to church and I saw all my Christian friends and I feel better, but as I go throughout the week and I feel worse about myself, I stop feeling justified. And those Bible truths, if we don't understand those, we'll just get stuck in justification and never move to adoption and never end up moving into real purification of us, sanctification, setting us apart for God. That's what I want us to move into. And so, really ask yourself, do I not just know these truths, but believe them to be true about God and to be true about me, that I am justified, adopted, and am in the process of being sanctified by God? Thank you, Eric, for that. So tonight we're going to talk about receiving Grace, And it might sound a little bit strange that we're going to say at the end of our uh, series, receive grace. If you were going to ask me, I would probably think at the very beginning that we would take the concept of God's grace and put that at the, at the very beginning of our relationship with God. This thing starts with grace, right? And really the whole posture of this thing is that we are receptive of the gifts of God. So by grace. But you're going to see tonight why we're going to put grace in the area of sanctification. Because grace is much more powerful than just what we sometimes on the surface give it credit for. 
I want to ask a question, a couple questions tonight, like I typically try to do, and we'll try to work our way through that. The very first one simply is, what is grace? That may sound a little bit silly if you have a lot of experience in church settings, or maybe you've read a lot of church books, or maybe you've spent some time in the New Testament, to ask the question, what is grace? Because it's really the heartbeat or the blood that circulates through Christianity. But grace is a word that is a lot like the word glory. You kind of get it, and you can kind of put your finger on it. But if I were to ask you to give me in one sentence, what is grace? It's hard. Because it's very intricate. It's massive in its size, but it's detailed. It's complex. It's multifaceted, really, because it covers all kinds of things. Uh, We find it actually used 157 times in the New Testament. And it doesn't just talk about the initial saving act of God through Jesus Christ being grace, but actually there's so many more layers to it. That's why we're going to expose that tonight. Grace was a frequent introduction and salutation of the Apostle Paul. 16 times in the New Testament, and most of those are Paul, the writers would introduce their letters saying, grace to you, and peace oftentimes, but grace to you. And at the end of many of Paul's letters, he would say, may the grace of God be with your spirit. Beginning and end, Alpha and Omega kind of thing, where Paul on his mind is saying, I want you as believers to be constantly receiving grace. Grace to you. Grace to you. Grace to you. I want to give you some of the examples of grace to kind of give you a breadth of understanding of what it is. If you would like the list of 157 uses of grace, more than happy to give that to you. Interesting fact, it's only found about three times in the Gospels, never on the lips of our Lord, the word grace. It became the word that described Him after He left. He never really said the word because He was the embodiment of grace. John, as you read here with Tim, um, is one of the first places you see it in the Gospels where He says, from His fullness, you and I have received grace Upon grace. So if you would ever like that list, I'd be more than happy to share that with you uh, of all the uses of the word grace in the New Testament. It's actually found in the Old Testament as well, but just 157 times in the New. But first and foremost, grace is the saving favor of God through Jesus Christ. He would call it the gift. Romans 3 says that you and I are justified by Jesus Christ, and that is what God would call grace. That's gracious. That God would forgive us. That He would, out of His own character, come to people who have rejected and rebelled against Him and His manner of life and His way, even though they owe their very life to Him because they breathe because of His existence, even though they've rejected Him, God has offered graciously kindness, love, mercy. That's grace, saving favor of God through Christ. Grace is also really, like I said momentarily ago, it's the holistic description of God's richness towards us. It's this word that sort of tries to gather all the things that God does for us into one just sort of term. Uh, Paul would say it this way in Ephesians 2, that God's kindness 
is displayed to us. And he calls that grace. He says it's his richness that he's just lavished upon us, his love, his mercy, and his kindness. He just poured that out upon us that you and I would experience that. Grace is the most accurate expression of the nature of Jesus Christ. Paul would tell the church in Corinth to receive the grace of Jesus, the love of the Father, and the presence of the Spirit. I think that's probably the most accurate um, description of the Trinity for us and how we relate and experience the God is one, but God is three. He says, receive the grace of Jesus, the love of the Father, and the presence of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians uh, 13, 14 for you taking notes. But Paul also said that grace is something that has to be experienced. When he was writing back to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians, you'll find grace is really the theme of that book. It runs from chapter 1 to chapter 13. Almost every chapter, it talks about that. But in chapter 1, verse 15, Paul said, I long to come back to you. I want to come back to Corinth so that you can have a second experience with grace. That's strange, isn't it? The way his language. Can you imagine if we stood up and we're like, listen, uh, everybody come back tonight for our Bible class because I want you to have another experience of grace. That, that language might throw you off a little bit. We don't use that much in our fellowship. But Paul says that to the church in Corinth. And what they were experiencing, although they were currently Christians, we're going to see here in a moment in chapter 6, that they were missing the effect of grace. And so he said, you need to experience really what this is all about. Here's my best shot at a summary of this. You tell me what you think. Grace is the unmerited kindness of God to provide Jesus Christ as the answer to our willful slavery to sin. Accomplishing this by freeing us from, by fulfilling the law that you and I could never accomplish on our own, and then gifting to us, giving to us, the righteous standing that comes by perfectly keeping that law. He gave that to you and said, here, I give you the perfect standing through Jesus Christ. Grace is the compassion and power of Christ to be able to follow through with this redemptive plan to redeem us from our sin and usher in the beginning of restoration of all things. And grace is the continued kindness, comfort, strength, and love that sustains the life of a believer. Grace. It's big, isn't it? There's a lot to it. Grace. So what does it do then for a believer? Because if you notice something interesting about grace is that it's really not about you. When we come to this word, this Bible word grace, it's really not about me, it's not about you. What we're doing is using a word to describe not ourselves, but God. We're just talking about Him. Man, God does this, 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 and this. Let's call that grace. Man, He is gracious. There's so many things by which He is gracious to us. We're talking really about God. So the question then becomes this. What does grace then, if I'm telling you to receive grace, what does it do for a believer? What does it do constitutionally inside of us to a believer? Well, there's two things. Grace is pardon, forgiveness, 
for sins that have happened in the past. I think most of us might be familiar with that if you've got a connection with Christianity. But it's not just pardon for sins in the past. Grace is the power for our obedience in the present. That's the depth of grace that I want you to get tonight. You see, if I were to sit down with many of you, have some coffee, talk about things, I think we would probably get pretty quickly um, some scriptures that point to grace being the forgiving power of God through Jesus Christ. We might go to Ephesians 2, that really, really uh, well-known verse where he says, By grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. This is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast about it. And we might be comfortable talking about, man, God didn't have to save us. While we were still sinners, Christ came and He died for us. That's grace that God has pardoned, forgiven our sins. That's grace. But there's this whole element of grace that shows up in the New Testament that is not just pardon for past sin, but power for present obedience. I don't know if you're like me, I can just speak for myself, that obedience to God sometimes is really difficult. I think like that old, that old hymn goes, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I, I, I experience that sometimes where we're really pursuing the heart of God and, and His will and passionately following Him and understanding Him and knowing Him and engaging Him. Sometimes I lack energy in that department. I get tired. What I want to do is watch TV for seven hours and then eat ice cream and just forget about the whole thing because I'm exhausted. And that's what God is really going to show up and teach us tonight. That grace is the power that you need for obedience. Here's how this shows up. First and foremost, grace is the element, the only element in Christianity that will produce a heart of gratitude inside of you. If you see the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the strength to be sustained, the gifting and abilities and talents that you have, if you see those things, not as grace, but as merit, something that you have earned, you will not be able to produce within you a heart of gratitude. That's not what will, that's not what will come about inside of you. So the understanding that of the reality of grace, that what you have in this life, the very fact that God sustains the entire existence of this world, when you understand that that is grace, that cultivates a heart of gratitude inside of us. And gratitude is the environment by which spiritual growth requires for it to happen. You won't grow spiritually until gratitude shows up. There's a great little um, uh, petri dish, I call it, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where he begins to describe the environment that's needed for God to provide sanctification to us. 1 Thessalonians 5, at the end of that, he says that we ought to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in everything. Maybe give thanks was first, but give thanks in everything, pray without ceasing, rejoice always. And he said inside of that environment where there's gratitude and there's joy, God will sanctify you. He will. But when we lack gratitude because we see this, not as an act of grace of God, but as something that we are doing, something we are meriting, or something we have to merit that we're just falling short of, will never really create the environment in which God can grow us up and mature us. 
will constantly stay in an immature state where we see brothers and sisters as competition, not brothers and sisters. We'll see each other in ways that we would rather maybe find fault or attack instead of having compassion and love. And so grace is what produces within us gratitude, the environment for spiritual growth. Number two, grace liberates you. Like Moses and the Israelites, grace liberates you from sin because it moves you out of the environment of law and into the environment of grace. You see, for all of God's people's history, they engaged with Him in the form of law from the very beginning. It was law, and especially when Moses showed up and he led the people out, and they said, we'll follow God wherever he asks us to go, and Moses gets the Ten Commandments, and then from chapter 20 through about chapter 31, there's a massive amount of information. Then you read the book of Leviticus, and there's like 600 and some laws. And so God's people have always, from the time really Moses started to to cultivate them, experienced and interacted with God based upon law. God says, do this, we do that. He says to do it this way, we do it this way. And so they only really related to God in that manner. And so when Jesus Christ shows up, who says, not get rid of the law, but I'm going to fulfill the law. And when I fulfill it, I'm going to gift to you that righteousness so that you can be right with God and enjoy Him. All of a sudden, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, you're not under law anymore. You're under grace. And where does sin find its strength? In the law. Paul said this, I wouldn't know sin if it weren't for the law. I wouldn't, right? Officer, I didn't know. There was no speed limit sign posted, so I didn't know it was a 35, I'm driving at 80. You know, like, right? I, I had no idea. Isn't that true, though? If there's no sign posted, you can't hold me accountable to obeying the law. But once the sign is there, when the law shows up, then there's the possibility for sin. And that's really where sin has its strength. Not because law creates sin, but because inside of human flesh, what we desire when we leave God, law is produced, I'm sorry, sin is produced inside of law. And so what Paul says in understanding Jesus in Romans chapter 8 is there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because what you could not do weak in your flesh, Jesus Christ did. You couldn't do it. And he takes that righteousness and he gifts it to you. And all of a sudden I'm standing in front of God and I have a righteousness that lets me stand there and as Hebrews says, come boldly to the throne of grace. And I'm able to receive that and be with God, all of a sudden, sin has lost all its strength because it's over there without any law. Third thing, grace produces a gracious nature. Just like apples produce apple, or apple seeds produce apple trees, grace produces a gracious nature inside of us. When grace is the means of your faith, it then becomes the end of your faith. When grace is the means by which your faith is cultivated, that, that you see this thing as gracious and a gift of God, and you are in awe that God would be so gracious to you, and grace is the means of your faith, all of a sudden grace becomes the end of your faith. 
the way that you behave, the way that you act. When you have received grace and you understand that this whole thing is grace and you're so thankful for the grace that you've been given, when that is the means by which you have faith, all of a sudden you become a gracious person. Uh, Jesus would really teach this kind of example in Matthew chapter 18 about a man who had a debt that he couldn't pay back and it was graciously forgiven of him. And he didn't really receive the understanding of what that gift was. Maybe he thought it was owed to him. Who knows what he was really thinking. But he did not return grace for grace. He didn't give grace. And so he really uh, still remained callous and remained hard. He was not changed by grace. And so he didn't understand the gracious nature of that gift. But when grace is what you receive and is by which you have faith, we start to create gracious communities of people. I mean like within us, with each other. And so a dead giveaway that you have not yet received grace shows up in how much grace you give to other people. Guilty as charged. Right here. That's why I'm begging with you to receive grace. Not monthly, not yearly, but daily. Because the way that we extend grace to people is a dead giveaway of how much grace we've received. How much we understand that this fact that I can stand in this place is an act of the grace of God and not me. And so inside of a gracious community, we start to seek understanding above accusations. We seek forgiveness instead of fault finding all the time. Inside of gracious communities, We pursue biblical unity of the Spirit, not demanding uniformity of my will. That's what grace produces. And so I'm not saying this just to lay a heavy weight on your shoulders right now because some of you may be feeling that. I know I am. Like, I'm not gracious with you all the way that I should be sometimes. I'm laying this on you so that you can go home and not become more defensive But just take a moment to say, wow, I've got room to grow and how much grace I receive in this thing called Christianity. Let that be evidence for you. God always leaves us with evidence, and that's a great one. And the way that Paul described in Ephesians 4 was this way. He said that we are words, the way that we talk to each other. Ephesians 4.29 should give grace to the hearer. And immediately after he said that, That the way that we talk to each other should impart grace to each other. That this compassionate forgiveness and patience and loving kindness, the, the way that we talk to each other should give grace. And immediately after he said that, he said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So when we lack grace, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Well, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says that we are to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Grace is the oil that keeps this thing together, that keeps us without friction. It's grace. And grace motivates obedience. So I asked you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He says this in verse 1. The story of the Corinthian church is really interesting. Uh, Really, if you get down to it, they loved other things more than they loved God. Saved converted, whatever you want to call it, but they had not yet really had their hearts won to how amazing God was. So they were still pursuing a lot of worldly things to bring them pleasure 
And so Paul here in this second letter back to Corinth is saying, listen, we've got to fix this thing. You're missing out on how good God really is. And so he says, and that's why grace is really the whole highlight through this entire book. But in chapter 6, verse 1, listen to how Paul uses his words to current Christians. He says, working together with him, co-working with God, Paul is, we appeal to you, we're begging you, Christians, do not receive the grace of God in vain. Now, we've got to do some language deconstruction here to make sure we get this in our context because vain, um, I don't know about you, but I immediately start singing the song. Anybody else? Yeah, you're so vain, right? Or, or you think of, um, even the way that we use this word now, it's, uh, it's interesting because we like name furniture after it. Like, like where do women you know, get ready in the morning in front of the vanity? We have, we have magazines named for it, right? Vanity Fair, pretty accurate. Um, some of you caught that good, okay? I've been told I'm a terrible t- joke teller. Um, but what does Paul mean when he says, don't receive God's grace in vain? Remember, he's not, this is not an appeal to non-Christians. This verse is oftentimes used in the, like, like the uh, invitation at the end. If you're not a Christian, you know, right here... This is two Christians. The word vain means to miss its point, to be empty, to be without fill, to be void. And so what he's saying here is don't receive the grace of God, but not let it have an effect on you. Don't receive God's grace as a, whoo, I don't have to go to hell, but nothing else matters. That's receiving God's grace in vain, meaning you've taken the surface of it. You know, vanity means like just the outside. You've taken the surface of it, like, like you're using it for its looks, but you're missing the power behind it. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Here's how I understand this. In Titus 2, he'll explain grace this way. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. What is salvation? Verse 12 training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of a glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous, for good works. Do you see what grace is supposed to do? Teaches you to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. It shows you how to live a godly and upright life. And it is anchored in the hope of the coming of your Savior who gave Himself for you. And inside of that, what grace does is it produces a people who are zealous for the work of God. And so if that doesn't really fall into your life description, hear this. Don't walk out of this building saying, I'm such a bum, I'll never figure it out, I'm a loser. Here's how you figure it out. You haven't received the fullness of grace. It's still in vain. You're taking the surface of it. That it's just a, don't have to go to hell. No, God's saying, come. I'll change your affections. I'll change you constitutionally inside to make you a different person. I'll take out that heart of stone, Ezekiel prophesied, and I'll put in a heart of flesh. I'll change you. 
This is what it does. Because look at the result back in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, don't receive it in vain. He goes through the list of things and he's saying, listen, you love too many things that are not God. But in verse 7, when you understand the promise At the end of chapter 6, when God says, I'll dwell with you, I'll walk with you, I'll be your God, you'll be my child, meaning you'll have the greatest relationship this world could ever know with God. That's the promise of grace. Look what happens in chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, grace, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement because it stops them of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion. That's what grace was intended to do. Bring your holiness to completion. That's why it's so important to receive grace, not in vain. Three things that block grace very fast. God says through James, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride will block grace. And pride can show up in a lot of forms like I don't need grace or look how religious I am. and I look at you people and thinking you're not as religious as me. So that's how I self-medicate my brokenness by looking at you and thinking you're worse than me. That's pride that blocks receiving grace. Number two, Hebrews 12 tells us not to fall short of grace. Letting the root of bitterness spring up. If you're here this morning, Matt preached a little bit on Hebrews 12, the root of bitterness. What stops receiving grace? Bitterness. Being unforgiving. Looking at others and retaining your right, supposed right, to hold a judgment against somebody else. Still a form of pride, by the way. But that's what bitterness is. It's you saying, I am not going to let go of this opportunity and right to hold a judgment against somebody else. Also self-medicating our own brokenness, by the way. Trying to make yourself feel better. And bitterness doesn't work. And all it does is make you stop short of receiving the fullness of grace. You've got to deal with forgiveness. Number three, competing affections. That stops grace. Listen to what Paul's diagnosis was of the Corinthians in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians. Verse 11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. What restricts you from grace? Competing affections. Seeing things in this world, seeing things, people, objects, opportunities, anything outside of this as greater than God. This is not a sermon that says, don't pursue things, don't do things, don't engage in this. Not at all. But it's to see a job or a person or an opportunity or a thing as being able to give you the fullness of life that God is saying, listen, you can't find unless I walk with you and I'm your God. Competing affections. And that's why in John chapter 1, in John chapter 1, John would describe, he says, we have seen His glory The glory as of the only Son of God. Literally translated, the only one that sits on the lap of God. Child of God. That's that's Jesus. We've seen His glory. And John says that's the fullness of grace. 
I believe to receive grace in its fullest measure is to finally see Christ in all His glory. That He is above all else to be cherished and treasured, to be loved and adored, to be honored and be served. And when you do that, that is the most amazing act of God's grace, that He has opened our eyes to see Jesus Christ in His glory. And here, John, John will never, for the rest of his writing, hear me, use the word grace. Chapter 1, 14 through 18, is the only time he writes the word grace. And he says, it is grace upon grace to see the glory of Jesus Christ. So what's your responsibility? Open yourself up to it. You don't have to produce grace. You don't have to throw a fishing pole out there and hope that you catch it with the right lure. You have to get rid of pride, deal with your bitterness, and come to God with your competing affections and say, Lord, I lay them down. Help me receive grace. Boy, we'd love to have somebody receive it tonight. If you need to, why don't you come as we stand and sing?